Welcome to The Current, a podcast produced by We Stand for Energy. We Stand for Energy is a community that supports a reliable, affordable, and sustainable energy future for everyone, and is a project of EEI, the National Trade Association representing U.S. investor-owned electric companies. My name is Brad Vietor, Vice President of External Affairs at EEI, and I'm your host. Welcome back, everybody. Today, we're going to have a robust conversation around Line Worker Appreciation Day, which is July 10th every year. And we're going to have a discussion about how line crews and IBW and all the folks that are working out there doing hard work a few hundred feet in the air to keep our power on, how that universe of workers is changing. First, we're going to have a conversation with Shannon Skinner, who's a foreman within the energy and the president of IBW Local 396 in Las Vegas. Next, we're going to hear from IBW International and Epi Martinez, who runs the training division at the IBW, to tell us how the work's changing from IBW International's perspective. And then last, we're going to hear from Missy Heinrichsen with the Center for Energy Workforce Development, a recruiting platform for the energy industry, who will share some of her perspective of what talent looks like that's coming in and how recruiting and tactics are changing. Welcome, Shannon. Thanks so much for joining us today. Again, this is Shannon Skinner, the president of IBW Local 396 in Las Vegas, Nevada, and a foreman at Envy Energy. Shannon, welcome. Hi, good morning. Let's dig into it a bit. Can you tell me about your history with the IBW and also a little bit about what your role is now. History with the IBW is generational. My family's in the IBW. That's how I got to know about the IBW and, and my line of work. I worked in the summertime with my dad. I decided to join the IBW. I traveled around as a groundman to see if that's exactly what I wanted. I went multiple states and the guys are like, you need to be an apprentice. So I became an apprentice, loved it. Absolutely loved it. Was it easy being a female? Absolutely not. Every job, I I actually had to prove myself just because I was a girl, but that wasn't hard for me. And I didn't really think as myself as being a female in the trade. I just knew that I want to be a journeyman lineman. So that's kind of how I started out. Went through the apprenticeship, worked on the outside for a while, and then I went to work for Envy Energy here in Las Vegas 28 years ago. So can you tell me about this job, the job that you have now, the foreman role at MV Energy. What does your day-to-day look like? I know you have some split responsibilities being the president of a local, so you've certainly got a lot that you have to take care of with the union itself. I know no day looks the same in your life when you're working outside. Absolutely. I mean, the day starts early. I get up quarter four in the morning. And on my way to work is where I start concentrating. I call it being cut in. That's why I start thinking about my job, start thinking about our yard, the people on my crew, what we've got to do. The COVID had changed us a little bit. We used to show up in a ready room. We're just now kind of getting back to that. We gather at the trucks now. I've got a five-man crew. Right now, we're on like a two-month job, but on a daily, we could do three or four jobs a day. You get your work orders from the clerk dispatchers, get your material from the warehouse. We've got a fairly large yard. So I just gather up with my crew, and of course, we get iced up. 
and we have a little, what we call a tailboard in the morning. I tell them the tasks to do for the day and the direction where we're headed, kind of like a pre-tailboard. So everybody gets loaded up. My fleet is a bucket truck, boom truck, my foreman's truck, and then a flatbed truck. I'll just take the job that I'm on right now. We're building a line to a rural city that we have that's had some problems. It's an old 1942 line. We're rebuilding. So we'll get out there, we'll gather, and we'll have a tailboard. We go over that I've picked up a hotline permit, go over what equipment we need for the day. We'll do a safety briefing. We usually have a cold apprentice or a hot apprentice, and we get them really involved into the tailboard, have them start asking questions. Sometimes if they're a hot apprentice, I'll say, okay, you're going to make the decisions for the day. And then I help them steer them in the direction that we need to go. So all day we're talking and we like to have fun. There's definitely no horseplay, but we work hard. It's hot. We watch out for each other. Like who's a family? I feel for the line crews up in the Northeast in the wintertime. And I definitely feel for those line crews down in the Southwest in the summertime. Because all that gear, you're not wearing shorts and flip-flops. You're covered up and protected, and it's 117 degrees. Yep, PPE 100% of the time, for sure. That's right. That's how that job goes. Well, can you tell me about the other responsibilities with being president of the local? What does that look like, and how does that impact your day-to-day? I sit on safety sub, JSOC. I sit on all of the committees. I sit on the apprentice committee. I take that leadership role in the IBEW and I take the IBEW leadership role to our company. We have a great partnership. We communicate a lot. So I think the role there is a leader in all aspects. When it comes to safety, new equipment, the members' mouthpiece, they come to me with a lot of different ideas, maybe safety ideas, equipment ideas. It's definitely busy, but I love it. It's part of me. It's part of who I am. I can walk into the CEO's office and let him know some of my concerns of what's going on in the field, equipment-wise or morale-wise. We're working seven days a week, and so we have to stay on top of safety and morale. You know, part of what we're talking about in this podcast is there's a lot of movement and evolution within line work all across the country. More diverse recruiting is going on all over the place, and you're right there at that cutting edge. You're coming in as one of the few female members of the IBW when you came into the job. Can you tell us a little bit about how it's changed in terms of going from maybe being one of the only women in the hall to sort of where the IBW is going and how all of that is adjusting? Absolutely. That's one of my passions in the IBW is the recruiting. And then here in Las Vegas, we've got a really good relationship with schools. We go from first through 12th into our community colleges, but we have put out there to our children in our community we let them see what the future is like in the trades and what we can do. And there is nothing better than I'll be standing there with my tools, cone up a pole, and a, a little eight-year-old girl will come up to me and say, I didn't know girls could do that. That just makes your heart pound. So you've been down on your knee, and then pretty soon you've got a crowd of people. As long as they're exposed, I was exposed by my family. And thank God for that, because the exposure is our responsibility now. The future of this trade is us, and the diversity of this trade is us. And I see a a really bright future. People don't appreciate that they could do that job until they see somebody who looks like them doing it. That audience that you have, it's a connection that not many people can make. And the same is true with other diversity within the trade. So I applaud your efforts on that front. It's certainly what's necessary to continue to ensure we get the absolute best that are out there, no matter 
race, color, creed. Yeah, race, color, creed does not matter. It's the passion in your heart and the ability to see what we can do. And we grow every day. We've got more ideas. I actually think that we're going to bring a bunch of kids to our training yard and let them see what they can do. Every day we're working on recruiting. Every day we're working on making the IBEW a better place to work and live. For sure. Thanks, Shannon. That was a really insightful perspective. I appreciate you taking the time to share it with us. Now to learn a little more about the life of the line worker uh, as we celebrate them on Line Worker Appreciation Day, I'm going to have a conversation with Epi Martinez. Epi is the executive director of the National Utility Industry Training Fund at the IBW based in Washington, D.C. So he can give us a global point of view of how they're recruiting new people to the trade and frankly, just tell us more about the trade itself. So welcome, Epi. Look forward to our conversation. Well, thanks for having me. Can you tell our audience about what the heck a line worker is? What does a line worker do? What is the day-to-day in the world of a line worker at the IBW? A line worker generally works on the high voltage power lines, whether it's overhead or underground, various different voltages. We have underground facilities. Of course, we're working high off the ground in these bucket trucks or crane baskets. We're working several hundred foot off the ground. It sounds to me like a pretty intense, dangerous job. You're hundreds of feet in the air in a bucket sometimes. You're in a hole in the ground. You're exposed to elements. And then pile on top of it, you're working in and around electrical current and a bunch of copper. So it's not a job for the faint of heart. Am I thinking about it wrong? No, no, that's absolutely correct. Of course, the first things that we do is make sure folks aren't afraid of heights. At least with the program I went through, go to climbing school, they show you how to climb. After you're proficient at climbing, you start climbing to different heights. The job is very, very dangerous. There's no doubt about that. However, the training that the apprentices receive is what makes it a safe trade, provided you, you follow all the safety rules that have been taught to you. So we hear these terms a lot. People talk about, all right, they're going to come into the union hall and they join an apprentice program. And then once they are able to complete the apprentice program, they have the opportunity to sort of progress within the field, become a a journeyman lineman themselves. Can you maybe demystify that and fill in some of the blanks as to how that process works, not just on the job training, but the classroom style training that's going on as you're moving up from a young buck to an experienced journeyman? Sure. And I'll speak more so specifically about the apprenticeship program that I went through, but this is an IBEW DOL certified program. And what we basically got is with the apprenticeships, you do a lot of technical training in the first couple of years, basic electricity classes, basic math classes, things of this nature, special equipment, but a lot of the technical stuff. And while you're working out on the job, you're doing the lesser skilled work, if you will, until you start getting the technical pieces down. And quite honestly, you do most of your book work and most of your classroom work in the very beginning of the apprenticeship the second year, third year, depending on the programs. But ultimately, we didn't have many classes at all in the fourth year. And that was when you were supposed to practice what you had learned in the controlled environment. So again, we teach the technical piece. And when you do the hands-on, after you've learned all the technical pieces, that's where a lot of the theory comes into play. And, And that's key with the IBEW. We don't just 
teach the technical piece and give the apprentice the instructions, or for the most part, everybody could read and, and understand and comprehend. But there's a lot of times when we go out to places and you've got to understand when it's not an ideal condition when asked to do a certain task. If you understand theory, the line person can get through the job safely and complete it successfully. You've got to be able to take certain safety precautions that are taught to you in the apprenticeship and what to watch for. You've got to be prepared for whatever's coming at you. And this is a long, intensive program. And before you can graduate, your journeyman has seen you on the job. And he's like, all right, Epi's all right. He's not going to kill himself. He's ready to move on to the next step. Absolutely. And that's the way our programs are set up. When the individual turns out after their program, they know exactly what to do. Now, they just may not be very fast at it, but at least they know what's going to hurt them, what's going to kill them, what's going to cause an outage. And with time and just doing your job comes efficiency. Can you tell us about getting deployed to do recovery after big intense events and going into an environment you don't know, like you're coming from the mountains and all of a sudden you're down in Florida dealing with a hurricane? How does that work? What's that experience like? Well, I'll tell you, I think the biggest shock to me was a hurricane. And it's one thing to vacation in a place that has good weather and humidity. It's another thing to have to do physical labor work. And you really got to be careful. The first things that we did was make sure that we kept an eye on our hydration because we come from a very dry environment. We come from where there's a a lot of rock, a lot of granite. And working in Florida and even Texas, a lot of sand. It's a different type of deal. Something that we all take for granted, that I'm able to sit here in my house with the lights on, connected to my computer with the internet still rolling. Because there's a line worker, in my case out in Dominion Energy, who's making sure that everything's still connected and still rolling. There's a lot more that goes into it that people don't appreciate. Oh, absolutely. You know, another added aspect, Brad, is this pandemic. Granted, I was already here in Washington, D.C., but as the utilities, thank God, started thinking, hey, look, what happens in the event that some of our line crews start falling ill? And what are we going to do to keep them socially distant Just thinking specifically about the line crews, they were having them show up to separate locations so that they didn't mix and match crews. And if somebody got sick, they kept it to a crew rather than a whole service center or a whole yard. And I think that's key for the unions and the companies to work together to make sure that the community and our first responders help this country get through this pandemic. I know you focus a lot of your attention at the international level on some of these training programs. Can you tell us about where your work is focused now here in D.C.? Yeah, I'm the executive director of the National Utility Industry Training Fund. And ultimately what it is, is a second to none. It's very technologically advanced. There's portions of it that have virtual reality where you put the headgear on. Now we're trying to digitize fingers instead of joysticks so that tasks can be performed via virtual reality. And, and there is some states like my state, home state of Colorado, where we had apprentices all over the state. Well, you'd have to travel them in to attend class together. But in some instances, this allows the class to be put on through the VR world. We're still working on that, but technology is a great thing. There is a ton of education that goes on with this program. 
The new TIF program is certainly a fascinating one, and y'all are on the cutting edge. There was a concern, and I heard this from the management side. They're like, uh, I don't know if the unions are going to be super interested, all the technology that's coming down the pike, because I think there might be some concern about job replacement, et cetera. And the impression I've got is it's not about that. It's more about, no, how do we use these new tools to put our workers in a position to use those tools to make things go faster, better, and safer. I absolutely agree with you, Brad. And to that point, many, many, many years ago, (laughs) when the invention of the bucket truck came along, I'll bet there was a lot of line folks out there that were very upset about this bucket truck. But hey, look, it's a tool. Well, thanks, Epi. Really appreciate you taking the time to share your point of view and your experience with us. Now I'd like to close out this discussion with a conversation with Missy Henriksen, who's the executive director of the Center for Energy Workforce Development. In this conversation, I hope to dig in a bit deeper into what companies themselves are doing to diversify their workforce and how they're accelerating that transition. So welcome to the show, Missy. Thanks for having me, Brad. appreciate it. What are the challenges you're seeing as the sector tries to diversify the universe of line workers that they're recruiting to the industry? Yeah, Brad, there's probably four things that I would say is the predominant factors that that really challenge us in this area. First, I think it's just history. I think a lot of businesses, not just this sector, use the friends and family program for hiring. So when there is a vacancy, you look to your team and say, who would be a great addition? And if you start out with a workforce that's pretty homogenous and you use that friends and family plan, before you even realize it, you've got a lot of of history repeating itself. We've developed a really talented workforce, but lacking in diversity. With that, I think bridges us into perception. There's a, a saying that you have to see it to be it. So if in your community, you see folks that are out there fixing the power lines, they're, they're coming in after storms. If you don't see anyone who looks like you, your perception is perhaps this is not an industry for me. If you don't see people that look like you out there, your perception may be I'm not welcomed. I think the third thing that goes into that is energy careers really aren't as visible as a lot of us would like to think they are. Those of us that work in the industry and so many people that have been second generation or have been here for decades think that there's no other place that people should go. But for people that aren't seeing the messaging, they don't understand what the industry has to offer, the career advancement opportunities, progression paths, compensation, all of those things are really important. And then I'd say probably the fourth thing that really is a challenge for us is something that I know a lot of of businesses are looking at, and that's uh, pre-employment tests. Some of those tests are, are really hard, and those without strong math and analytical skills, they really struggle. And we've seen lower success rates for some of those who have come from marginalized communities. I know EEI and many member companies are looking at these tests to make sure that there are no barriers to entry there and looking at accommodations to make sure that this is a test that um, really can be useful to all. Sounds like a marketing challenge, right? Like we just need to figure out and go into these communities and talk about the opportunities that are here. Is that too basic of an interpretation of how we bridge this gap? You're spot on, but we have to make sure our story resonates the most. There is a huge, huge challenge for skilled, diverse men and women across all sectors. And there are a lot of sectors that have really banded together to say, here's what we have to offer. And we need to make sure that our message resonates the most 
resonates the loudest to make sure that we're attracting the best and the brightest to this field. This is probably a good segue into a little bit of the work that CEWD is doing. We have taken career awareness on as one of our primary goals, and it works hand in hand with our goal to develop a more diverse, equitable, and inclusive workforce. So yes, we want to promote career awareness, but we also want to be very purposeful in sending that message to communities of people who are underrepresented in the industry today. So those are the challenges, and I guess you could flip it on its head and call those the opportunities as well, right? There's nowhere to go but up as we get more and more diverse. Is that how you see it? Yeah, it's how you look at it. Glass half full, glass half empty, right? I look at this as an incredible opportunity as a glass half full in this case. As I've mentioned, the industry has so many incredible opportunities. So telling that story is something that's really exciting. In fact, I think for CEWD and our staff team, the energy, no pun intended, of telling the story, it's palpable. There are a lot of opportunities to go up. Looking at CEWD's gaps in the energy workforce report from 2019, we found that 10% of the industry is comprised of veterans, 24% women, and 22% defined as minority, which I do believe is based on different race and ethnic backgrounds. So as we look at the growth in some of these numbers, first of all, this is a great opportunity for us to retell our story. Looking at individuals that have unfortunately been furloughed or lost their job due to the pandemic, great opportunity to reach out to them and talk about second chance opportunities working in this industry. CEWD is partnering with a diverse group of organizations like Autism Speaks, ASME, uh, Society for Hispanic Professional Engineers, Out for Undergrad, to bring greater awareness to careers in the industry. So we're looking at creating those partnerships at a national level to help fuel partnership opportunities and exposure opportunities at the local level. For instance, one example is our National Career Fair, which will take place on October 20th, trying to bring in people that have never before thought of themselves as being a candidate for employment in the energy sector and really promoting all that we have to offer, including all of the line worker jobs that are so phenomenal. So talk to me about that career fair on October 20th. Yeah, thanks for asking. So the event will be virtual. We held our first event last year. We had 1,500 registrants and the predominant attendee avatar was a student followed second by veterans. Last year, we partnered with groups like Urban League, Out for Undergrad, some of the other groups that I just mentioned, Veterans in Energy, Women's in Energy, Hispanics in Energy. Uh, This year on October 20th, we will have different sessions for high school students, college students, and career changers, career explorers, career seekers, those people who may have lost their jobs or aren't happy doing what they're doing, people that are sitting behind a computer all day and really aren't loving that. They're not feeling that is what they want to do for their future. Uh, We'll be working with the various organizations I mentioned to get that word out there. People will come and listen to the sessions. We'll also have a career fair. Everyone who registers has an opportunity to upload his or her resume. Last year, we had 42 exhibiting companies representing internships and jobs in every single state in the country, and they were conducting real-time interviews. And anyone who's interested in exhibiting can go to cewd.org for more information on how to get involved. Excellent. Thanks, Missy. So what are the electric companies doing to meet these challenges? You know, this industry has been focused on DEI and, and more lately DEI, and a lot of good progress is being made. A lot of real strong examples of things companies are doing. I can think of one company that's at the early stages of developing a cohort just for women, and they are going to walk these women through all that they need to do to be qualified to work as line workers. They'll work with them on getting their CDL. Not to say you got to go get it, but they will work on the processes. They are going to work with them on making sure those pre-employment tests are passed. 
I know PSEG has really done a great job with the program. It's not just for line workers, but for high potential individuals, including line workers, and providing leadership experiences for those that they identify as individuals they'd like to be with that company for a long time to come. I would also say, and and like to give a shout out to IBEW, they have a a program that they've put in place on IBEW Strong, and they're working with their locals around the country to help provide increasingly visible opportunities for non-traditional employees in the industry and working with their utility partners to come up with creative opportunities to really show that this is an industry for all. Missy, you mentioned uh, earlier that you have to see it to be it. You've got to think about yourself in the role of uh, the electric sector, your role of line worker. How is the industry addressing that challenge and really showcasing people that look diverse in these roles? There are a lot of different initiatives that are being undertaken in the space. One of the things that CEWD is working on is helping reshape the narrative about DE&I in the industry. At the end of summer, early fall, we'll be relaunching our Get Into Energy site, which is our site for anyone that wants to learn more about working in the industry. We will be bringing DE&I to life, talking about some of the successes that our members have in this space, sharing testimonials about people who work in this industry who maybe come from historically marginalized communities or groups of people that aren't represented broadly in the industry today. We have day in the life of stories we'll be telling. We're talking about things like how prevalent our industry is, the CEI index, and talking about all the work that's being done in that space, really leading with some of the great examples that the industry is already undertaking so that people recognize how significant the industry's commitment is to being a leader in the DEI space. Excellent. Thanks, Missy. Thanks for the conversation and insights. We appreciate it. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks, Brent. We hope you found this to be an informative 15 minutes, and we look forward to bringing you additional expert insights on energy policy. To learn more about EEI and the electric power industry, visit www.eei.org. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts by searching for The Current and We Stand for Energy.